you know, they were the only ones at some organizations that were still working, you know, through COVID, you know, and never took never took a time off. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Duty of care for protectors and corporate security. Today, a slightly different tack to the Circuit Magazine podcast in that we're recording from a recording at the Corporate Security Modernization Forum Tri-State just last month with Armando Leon and Jonathan Perillo both coming as themselves. What's different is that we're looking at how we build the leadership skill set in the context of looking after your staff. So we're going to look about uh, you know, how, how do they set that vision? What is vision setting skill set when relating to your own staff? What legal framework does the leader have to take into consideration when it comes to health and safety? And how can you protect protectors when you've tasked them with protecting others? Lots of interesting questions, perhaps one that's very good for the festive season as we have a little bit of downtime and think about how we grow either our business or our team. As I said, this has come live from the Corporate Security Modernization Forum Tri-State, which we held very successfully just uh, last month. And I really hope you appreciate the different angles coming to us from the world of corporate security. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. We're live at the fourth annual Corporate Security Modernization Forum Tri-State, and we are still talking modernization, but we're talking about the leadership skill set and, you know, the, the, the way in which uh, duty of care and corporate security modernization can come together we're very very pleased to be joined by Armando Leon senior manager of security infrastructure protection at Washington Metropolitan Area Transport Authority and Jonathan Perillo manager of security and life safety at Munich Re uh, Frank has had to uh, go elsewhere but uh, we will relate to him our thoughts um lovely to have you on how, how are you enjoying the day so far oh very good very good great panelists so far thank you for uh, letting us join very good very good well um, we're we're excited to talk modernization. It's important because otherwise we just go in a random direction, modernizing, <laughs> you know, spending money in a particular way, whether corporate money or our own training money. And so it's important to look at this um, uh, from from a wider perspective. But uh, and maybe I'll start with you, Jonathan. When we talk about the leader of tomorrow, well, what type of leader? Are we talking about we already, we already talked about different functions uh, including fraud and investigations and all sorts but but what is this leader we're talking about so as we kind of progress into into leadership roles and what we're looking at here we're looking at a couple different types of leaders throughout the security industry so we've got uh we have our end users right so we have our, our cso's and our sses within the organizations and then we also have the security leaders that are that are specialty leaders right so there's a specific area in security that they are uh, top notch in right, and uh, both are, are equally important, but they they both kind of present 
similar in different patterns, right? So the more you specialize, the more you really dig down into, into one area, whereas the CSOs and SSEs become more broad. And it, I think that as we evolve and as modernization comes here, I think you're going to really see a, a large evolution of, of uh, soft skills and having those those skills ref that reflect the organization that they represent. So um, the, the more technological we get, I think the more we have to rely on our soft skills. Okay, so... So, so soft skills and, and, and of course, looking after people is, is kind of a soft skill. You know, we talked in the opening panel about, you know, finding out their motivations, uh, uh, may, maybe, I mean, I, I don't want this to go down the uh, insider threat pathway, right? Because what I want to do is say, actually, we just want to get to know our staff and make sure they're not in a bad place. Um, Armando, what then does this make this leader uh, sort of do what 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 is it framed as because it, it are we looking for them to set the vision um or or reflect the organization they protect i i, I guess i wanted to get a bit more granular yeah and and i think i agree with jonathan i think the leader uh now with these skills right is 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 expanding right so i think before um, you know, maybe a direct expertise in the, in the organization that you're working at wasn't as as key to being a successful leader, whereas now I think that becomes a more important role that that player does, right? So understanding really the organization and how you're protecting that organization and really getting down to your people that are doing the protecting, right? So protecting the protectors as, as we've discussed in the past, right? So the duty of care is really understanding their role and setting that goal and that vision. And I think it's it's really important that as a leader um, nowadays, you do set that vision and that mission uh, that should reflect what your organization's goal is, right? But you understanding how it is that you play that role uh, in securing your organization. It, it, I think it's really key uh, for the leaders of the future as we modernize. Yeah, because otherwise you're just a boss. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have a kindness games panel uh, this time around, but we did on, on the on the, on the Great Lakes event. But the the idea that you're simply taking into consideration their their home life, their their wants, their their fears. It's actually not rocket science. It's what uh, people do in interviews, you know, and and it's what people do with those performance interview, uh, you know, reviews anyway. Um, actually, quite clunkily, I'm, I'm sure everyone has had a clunky performance interview where they go, "So tell me your goals and your own motivations." It's like uh, I'm not just going to spill that for you, you know, like you're going to hold it against me. So. I think I think it's got to be more nuanced, and you've got to work with HR partners and and uh, and, and all of that. But uh, we mentioned a few OSHA things, um, Jonathan. I, I guess it depends on the sector, but what legal considerations should we be thinking about as as we try and build a duty of care in? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as far as modernization too, right? So, how is duty of care changing? And it's not only technological, it's also cultural, right? So we have huge initiatives out there. We have DE&I out there. We have leisure work, right? So business leisure, people are traveling all around the world because of the ability to work hybrid. Um, we have other technologies that are entering the space. So as far as a company providing a credential versus we're potentially even shifting to where the, the employee would pro we'd be providing a credential that we would ingest. So where does all of this leave us? Where does all of this put us as far as duty of care? And the, my answer is always Semper Gumby, right? Always, always flexible. So we need to be able to identify exactly where that is. And that, that, again, goes back to building those close relationships with your executives at your company, because it's not just one person that can sit down and draw a line. 
you need to involve legal. You need to involve HR so you can understand what these challenges are and where and where they're coming into play. You need to have local experts because there's going to be different laws throughout the different uh, parts of the globe and throughout the different parts of the U.S. So it really goes back to soft skills, right? Being able to include the right people in the room in order to make these decisions collectively so that everybody's reading off of the same sheet of music. But then, you know, what's to stop you being HR? Like, why, why, or, or do you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like there should be more convergence there. Um, as, as HR are often described as eyes and ears, um, you know, they, they, I mean, they, they are right. They, they are eyes and ears for, um, the C-suite. The C-suite ask, ask a question, HR, they're like Sandra Stibbard, but in internally, aren't they? They, they go and investigate. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how that, uh, you know, uh, you know, balances uh, Amanda because if you're being a leader and you're you're championing duty of care for your protectors, how do you how do you find out like how they are? Like uh, some of them might have money troubles, some of them might have uh, personal problems. H- how does one find that out? Yeah, and and I think that um, you know I think as as we think of modernization and, and really thinking of taking care of your people, right? I think, uh, especially what I found successful in in my leadership roles is is creating that team environment, right? So that that environment where, yes, you are the leader, but like you mentioned before, right? You're not just the boss, right? So you're you're the leader that actually cares uh, for the people that are doing, you know, the the hard work, right? Let's 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 be real, right? So the people that are standing uh, on the streets overnight, right? The people that are standing in the platforms, like for example, you know, I'm in the transportation business, so the people that are standing in the platforms and dealing with those crimes. So I think it's really understanding where they're coming from and really having that relationship. I think the leader of the future really doesn't just you know, give orders and give direction. I think the leader of the future builds this team environment, right? Like, you know, I, 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 I come from a military and law enforcement background, and I think the most successful teams are the ones that have that team environment, right? Where it's not just an, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I think as a leader, you have to understand that without your team, without your, you know, your, your team of professionals out there, there's, there's no work being done, right? So if you're not protecting them, if you're not taking care of them, if you're not learning about them, because you're right, you know, financial problems could bring about uh, great trouble, right, to to a security environment, you know, uh, you know, divorces, right? Um, and, and then we come into, you know, then you dwell into, you know, mental illness or, you know, things that, you know, uh, workplace violence, right? So kind of preventing those things as a leader, I think, in all environments, not just security, but I think all environments, learning about your team and learning what changes throughout the time can really prevent prevent things such as that right and i guess that's an active uh, interest rather than uh you will obey because i have a special forces background i mean i'm not saying anyone in the sf does that right but it's 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 more like right this is something new this is a transition this is um people management it's it's hr there's a duty of care and yes i know with christian later we'll touch on what happens when you send your protectors somewhere dangerous because that's a different expectation than if you send them somewhere um you know less dangerous um but i but i'm but i'm wondering um how can then the leader seek to protect the organization whilst protecting the protectors who are protecting the organization uh, Jonathan, I mean, how 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 does one balance that? Because, like, 
the organization will say deploy your staff during covid to look after the doors and you'll be like well right you know? and it's and it's about uh perceiving your staff as human beings as well right so having that very real conversation and uh saying if it, if it's not fit for for anybody then then these people are anybody's too and so um there's that aspect of it and protecting is also more than just beyond the physical right it's also reputation on other things like that and so we always try and make a, a culture in my staff uh where you're there's an arena where you can actually make mistakes right as long as we can learn from them as long as they're not to the point where they get out of hand um i would much rather my team make safe make mistakes and learn from them than to go through their workday being afraid to to make a decision so um and that has led to such an incredible culture of being able to identify those potentially dangerous situations well ahead of getting there. So it gives them a voice to speak up with, and it gives them uh, empowerment and the ability to make decisions. And that's maybe key, because then then that is a, another element of duty of care. Maybe it's not an OSHA statute to make them feel involved, right? OSHA is not going to say uh, they have been they've been feeling involved at two point five uh, instead of whatever level, but it's something in the soft skill variety. Um, and Deborah in the audience says, no question is an insult. Um, yeah, which I, which I think is, uh, is good. Um, so Armando, how can we, uh, encourage our staff to ha not have a silly question or not find any question insulting? Um, how, how can you, how can you, I mean, do you literally say, just ask me questions, but, but like, is there any environment we can set up to, to enable that? Yeah, and I think that's interesting, right? Because I think we hear that quite a bit, right? No, no, no stupid questions. But then it depends who's answering that question, right? And and how that question is being answered, um, and what environment you're creating when these questions are being asked, right? Because, you know, I think I think some leaders fall into a situation whereas, you know, it, it is it is this way because I say it is, or because this is my experience and this is what I know how it is. Whereas, you know, there are times where, yeah, the, the, you know, you run into those questions where like, you know, why, why is this being done or why are we doing this? And I think really taking that time to, to really talk to your staff as far as, you know, having them understanding that you, you're caring for their questions, right? You're, you want their questions and their input. You know, I think Jonathan put it uh, nicely when, you know, you think of your staff as human beings. And I think, you know, a lot of leaders fall into a, a, a situation. Uh, a systematic process where they don't treat their their staff as human beings, right? They're just they're just numbers, right? It's just the staff, especially really large companies, right? They just feel, you know, it's just just a number, right? So I think, you know, individual or, or first line leaders or you know uh, supervisors is really important to treat those people as humans, uh, treat your staff as humans, and and really, you know, when those questions come about, you know, really have that conversation where you're accepting those questions and maybe you know they bring up a topic or they bring up a point uh, that might be important or maybe something you didn't think about, right? Because I think that's the other thing that as leaders we have to really think about is that we can't think of everything, right? Nobody can, right? It's just not not possible. There's different avenues. People have different ways of thinking. Uh, people may see things, uh, even the newest person in your staff, you know, might see something that, hey, maybe you didn't think of it this way. Um, and really welcoming that and under and making them understand that, hey, if you find something that's a better route uh, and, a, and a better choice, maybe we'll go that way, right? It won't just be just because I said so because I'm the leader, right? And I think that's the environment that creates that 
that welcoming for the questions and welcoming for like, hey, let's let's maybe work together uh, alongside rather than top down leadership. Right. You kind of like make that across the board a little bit, kind of like a partnership. Right. Because at the end of the day, right, you don't succeed as a team without those that are working, you know, with you and for you, right? Um, so without creating that environment, I think that that uh, you, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate uh, Deborah in the audience also says, uh, if you train and educate your staff, you'll have less simple questions. Um, and, uh, and, and and so, yeah, that's, that is, that is a good, a good mantra, I suppose. Um, I tell you what, I didn't, I didn't ask you this in the prequel, but I, but I kind of think maybe it's a good, a good question, actually. Could you share a little bit, both of you, about your own journeys? Because that's one thing we don't really explore. Um, you know, uh, pe- people transitioning from military or not from military or from from X and Y, and then and how you become a, a, a leader, um, and and whether or not soft skills have featured in said progress. I, I I sorry to spring it on you, but I wonder maybe maybe John, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Well, can can you tell us a bit about your journey? Absolutely. So um, my journey into security is uh, a little bit weird. It's always just kind of been there in the background, right? So uh, even while I was at, while I was in the military, I was actually studying in the United States Marine Corps, uh, based out of San Diego. And uh, even while I was in the military, I, I had a side job working security at uh, at Chargers games. And it's always been a side job, and it had always been something that you know when I was going to university and college and and things like that. And then while I was doing that, I ended up running into uh, my my today mentor said, hey, you know what, you're actually pretty good at this. This should be your full-time thing. Stop trying to chase other things. And, you know, I had gone through a bunch of different transitions. After the military, I went into uh, skip tracing and and things like that. I'd gone uh, and I'd gotten some, uh, some other jobs just doing basic business things. And I was in school to be uh, an actuary. Um, and I ended up just falling in love with security after, after he peeled back the veneer a little bit. And so that's one of those things where I really have to say that you can't, understate in this industry the, the power of mentorship and i really appreciate that you said that you were trained to be an actuary because and i've said this so many times we need to get actuaries on this event because <laughs> uh we had a colleague from a uk insurer and he said he wants to make the business case for how much he's saved the company in uh preventing uh incidents and he went to the actuaries and he said tell me can you help me? Give me the numbers. Um, I don't know. Did did does does that help you uh, be be able to kind of quant quantify your role? It, it does. So not only quantifying the role and quantifying the risk, but also just the fact that the, the business is curious what security organizations do in the first place, right? So being able to have all of the amount of data that we have, I mean, access control systems spit out millions and millions of lines of data and nobody takes a look into what they mean. The actuary, it, it's um, best way that I can explain it with having that background is that I'm not afraid to tackle the math, right? So it's not that we went through the training or went through other things like that, but it just becomes a little bit less intimidating. And we know the the methodologies to kind of approach it. And so when we get when we get to it, we know when we need to visualize or when we need to go into spreadsheets and things like that. And you can get kind of a, a, a better feel for what you're trying to, to sift through. Um, and it, it's been, been absolutely tremendously helpful, uh, especially as we start realizing how much data the corporate security organizations have. Yeah, and 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 that's, that's something that a lot of the promise of new tech seems to be generating rather than 
solving. But anyway, we'll get it. We'll get into that. Um, Armando, how how has uh, soft skills or, or or team building really featured in in, in your progression? Um, ha- has it been literally? Oh, Armando, I like your background in the military. Or ha- has it actually been a bit more organic? Um, thinking right, you you've actually had a lot of soft skills. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like Jonathan, my, my background really started in active duty the military. Um, and then short time after that, I was a, a police officer in Miami. Um, and then, you know, actually security wasn't something that I really uh, thought I would get into. You know, I think there's a there's a uh, perception of security from a law enforcement perspective. Right. Um, that kind of taints it uh, when you see security in some areas as a law enforcement officer. Um, so I actually, you know, when I moved to where I live now, uh, you know, security was something that I got into um, while I was going to school. And, you know, I got a chance to really start from the bottom. So I, you know, I was the protector on the street, right on the ground. And, and I think I, I progressed uh, that way, which, which I think it, it helped me understand um, and helps me kind of go to the direction of, of a leader that I would like to be, right? Because we always strive to to continue to improve. So because I was, I've been on the ground, right? I've been there, you know, in the cold overnight, you know, walking the streets as the as that security personnel. Um, so that that's helped me understand. And, and obviously through the time, uh, I've had some mentors, right? And some some uh, you know some bosses that came and some leaders. Uh, that provided kind of like that guidance uh, and that team building. I think really the team building portion of it has been something that I've been able to use in, in, in really other aspects where, where and I have not been in security, right? So there was a portion of, of, my, of my career where I, I, I led a team that I was not security oriented, uh, but I still built that team, right? And I think that you know, when I left, uh, I mean, I still get calls from them uh, and text messages and emails all the time. Um, and they were not security professionals, but I, I was able to build that team, right? Bring that ex- those skills that, that I came with from security and law enforcement and actually build a team where my staff knew that I cared for them. And I think that's really important. And that's why I said, that I think that's transcends through many more organizations than just security, but I think it's important in our field, right? Because we're asking our, our protectors to do things that you're not asking everybody, right? You're asking these protectors to, you know, protect an organization from, you know, a potentially dangerous activity, right? So you want them to trust you and trust your, your judgment and your calls and your, you know, your procedures and your policies, right? You want them to trust that. Um, and the only way you can gain that trust is by building that team, right? If they can't trust you, they're, they're not going to do the work that you're asking them to do. Right. And, and that just hurts the organization in the, in the end. Yeah. And, and there's an element of credibility because you, 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 you've done it, which is which is one of the arguments why we can't literally take someone from. Anywhere, you know, they need they need some track record. Um, but I matter how then can you recruit for those same skills? Uh, because it's not like someone can show you a piece of paper and said, yeah, I was very caring. Like I've got this certificate in. Uh, soft skills, um, or, or 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 maybe there is a way. Maybe there is a way. How how do we recruit for that throughout the the the, the next generation? Yeah, and that, and that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge we run into specifically in this in this field, right? In in the security field, because you know you have personnel who are in security for the short term, right? Using it as a as a kind of like a transitioning point, and then you have those that have been in it, you know, for their entire career. Right. So how do you, you know, how do you uh, 
uh, I guess, higher for that. And, and that's, that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. But I think really getting to know uh, people, it, it, I think through the interview process, right there, you know, I've been through interview process where it's been very rigid, right? They ask you questions, they ask you five questions, and then, okay, that's the end of the interview. Um, whereas I've been to interviews where, you know, you build kind of like a rapport, right? And I think that is the, the one good way to kind of start judging um, how someone's going to be and how they're going to fit within your team, right? And I think building that team and understanding what you're looking for is, is what's key. Uh, but I think it starts right at the interview process, right? It starts at the process where you build that rapport and you have those conversations. You know, it's like, it's like not just where have you been or what have you done, but maybe how have you accomplished that? Or, you know, what, what kind of environments have you successfully been in? And I think that's what's really provides that that kind of that frame into you understanding of how this person is going to fit within your team. Uh, but I mean, it, like I said, it's a challenge, right? Because you never know. Uh, some people can interview very well, uh, or some people can interview really bad and, and you lose that. So I think, again, I think what's important is building that rapport right from the start to where that person feels comfortable with you and, and, and they can share that information with you. And then you can gather more details as, as, as it moves on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everyone, everyone has had that experience of the, the interview where you're like, I wish I could have said more or I said too much or, or, you know, but then going, going back a step, maybe this is for you, Jonathan, like before you get to the interview, how do we sift these CVs? Um, so, so, somebody said on a previous event, um, HR doesn't know what they're looking for and they just uh, recruit the wrong CVs. And I wonder uh, that can't be true it, it, because surely there's a hiring manager involved in there. And then and then I suddenly tweak, maybe it's the promise of new technology where they go, well, I've got thousands of CVs to sift, so I'm going to use tech um, where maybe some good CVs get, 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 get thrown out. How much truth is there to that? And, and how much involvement ha have hiring managers really got in corporate security? And it, it really depends on the position, right? So a, a very senior security position should have certain things on their CV. It should have certain experiences. You want to make sure that they have experience in the same industry. You want to make sure that they have certain certifications and certain backgrounds and certain networks. Uh, whereas if you're looking at somebody that's closer to patrol or somebody that's uh, maybe a, more like an analyst function, um, there's going to be different things that you're looking for. Uh, particularly in my analyst functions, I actually look to make sure that I'm, I'm employing a very diverse workforce because... It makes them very nimble and able to tackle things in very different ways. So generally, when I'm hiring, uh, I do tell HR and, or I do tell the, the outsource company, um, I would prefer to waste more time with interviews to make the, to meet the right candidate. Um, so if you think that something is, is in line and you're on the edge, put them in the pile and we'll talk to them. Um, because we don't necessarily know exactly what it is that we're looking for. Sometimes we'll just know it when we see it. And so... I think it's good to have a, a wider funnel with this because it, it, we are trying to solve for a very, very diverse threat environment. So it may not, you know, be exactly that that perfectly laid out CV that we're looking for. And I'd be interested in your thoughts because when we, when we were on with Sandra, we we sort of were wondering if there could be more communication between. I mean, and, and it does depend on the company, right? But between fraud investigations and corporate security now in some sectors i i feel that you're going to want to poach them 
like that that the, they'll be really good um it what 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 should we do when we want to take internally maybe we want we want the concierge staff to be a a, a frontline guard i don't know like like how how, how do we manage that yeah, it, it, it really it depends on the position, right? So sometimes sometimes we do poach. We we see that somebody performs very well in another environment, and we, and we reach out to them directly. Um, other times we have somebody that's in a in an outsourced role for a, for a long period of time with us, and we decide to bring them internal and, and make them an offer that way. Um, it really depends, right? But it, I think that it starts with what the position is that you're trying to fill, and what the skills are are that are there. Um, would it be better to have somebody in that role that has been outsourced previously that that's that's coming in in there? Um, or would it be better to have somebody that's used to operating in the end user organization? Um, and then again, we're only talking about from the end user perspective, not from the, the specialist section. So uh, from the specialty section, we're talking about a much narrower pool. So Armando, does this mean that in fact, we want a broader pool, and and we're gonna and we're gonna have to look at this broader pool from, some, you know, untraditional backgrounds. Um, yes, yes, you see here in the UK. I'll use the UK so we don't look at the US in this. In the UK, there are organisations, and you know that everyone has come from the military police. That's just their background. They've they've all come from there. They're buddies, but uh, for for the modern professional, you know. Should, should, should we be opening it up? And I mentioned concierge. People during the pandemic were actually saying, oh, I, I think it's got to be about customer service. So I'm going to take all the hotel concierge staff. I don't know if it actually happened. But um, what 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 additional backgrounds do you think we should be open to? Yeah, and, that, and that's a good question. I think I think I agree with Jonathan. I think it depends on the position, right? I think you're right. I think there are positions where, you know, that concierge and customer service is very important, especially in the industry that you're in. Right. You could be in, in face fronting staff where, you know, that makes or breaks the visits of your particular guests. Right. Let's say you're at a museum. Right. And you bring somebody who's got this rigid background. It's only been in the military. It's only been law enforcement. And you put them right in the front. And that might give off a, a different kind of feel that you want for something like that. Right. An amusement park of something like that, where, you know, a, a more of like a customer service oriented, you know, with some background in security, you know, with some experience, right? But you could always train the good employee, right? There, that's that's I think that's that's a good key to think about as well, right? You can train uh, somebody who is willing to learn uh, and provide them that that knowledge and that that uh, those skills, right? That that you want them to have. Uh, but then you train you 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 hire you know, what you're looking for, right? In that front, like you're saying, like we're talking about, right? Customer service, somebody who's just really talking to the public, who's bringing that 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 face of your organization, you know, depends what you want to present, right? Whereas maybe in areas where, you know, it's really high crime and, and you really need that protector, you really need that, um, that ex-law enforcement or ex-military person there, I think that's where, you know, that person gets hired, right? So I think as a, as a professional, as a, as a leader, as, as we look into the, into the future, I think that that person has to understand that, right? That person has to be involved. That hiring manager has to really understand, you know, what are the roles that we're asking these protectors and these professionals to actually do nowadays? Because, you know, as we learned during COVID, 
right? We, we did a lot more um, specifically during that time than we originally did, right? They were involved in many other things other than just protecting the organization. You know, now they were, you know, they were the only ones at some organizations that were still working, you know, through COVID uh, and, you know, and never took, never took a time off. Um, so I think they were the kind of like the, the masters of it all, or, or at least they, they had to be aware of it all. So I think, Knowing that and knowing what roles these uh, professionals are going to go is important for these leaders um, as we modernize, right? Yeah, like, like it. And, and in the audience, Deborah says, uh, your culture needs to support the learning, um, which uh, which I think is 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 really uh, key. So, all right, uh, kind of kind of bringing it to a conclusion. Why don't I ask what you hope we could achieve from an event such as this? I know modernization is very broad, but let's say, Jonathan, at the end of the day uh, today, uh, what where do you think we could sort of arrive to? Um, what 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 sort of conclusions do you think I sh- I should try and hash out? Well, from from today, I, I think we're we're moving forward with a framework, right? We're, we're recognizing that security in, in the entire industry is not what it was 20 years ago, and it sure isn't going to be the same thing 20 years from now. So, what are we looking at as far as we've evolved so far? And we've seen the introduction of soft skills a lot more, um, but we still have a very strong foundation in crisis management, right? And I think that no matter what where we go, no matter where we end up. I think that that's still going to be required. I think that there's still going to be a, a strong foundation of that. That needs to be continued and it needs to be um, expanded upon, right? Because the crisis 20 years from now could be completely different than, than it is now, uh, especially as we get into multi-environment threats. So um, our understanding of that is what I think really needs to change. Look at your organizations, look at how they're evolving uh, to face the modern world, and and we can we can join in stride. Like it, and uh, and Armando, um, you know, any 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 thoughts from you? I know you've been on a, a few of these uh, now. Uh, where where can we possibly hope to get to at the end of today that we haven't uh, gotten to already? Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think uh, you know, I think as professionals, we modernize, right? Like, I think your 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 topic is great because it's really understanding uh, that we're changing, right? We're ever changing, and and being stuck in your old ways is really going to leave you behind. Uh, and as a leader, as we move forward, you know, technology is changing more, you know, rapidly, right? Cameras that you've installed today, five years from now are no longer being made, right? Even three years from now, longer being made or supported. So I think the professional of, of tomorrow, right, really understands that that the landscape is is rapidly changing in, in all sectors. Uh, and really having that leader that that understands that and grasps that is, is what's going to be make us successful. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for jumping on. It's uh, it's great to to to, to look at this topic uh, in uh, in a slightly different angle because we've got enough other panels that look at tech and and, and things like that. Um, so, Jonathan and Armando, big virtual round of applause for you. Thank you very much. And I really hope you the listener enjoyed that and a slightly different format because essentially we're remembering the event that we just ran on corporate security modernization in the tri-state tri-state being new york new jersey pennsylvania and for some reason connecticut can anyone tell me why the tri-state has four states in it i don't know maybe that's just me maybe i've misunderstood (laughs) answers on the postcard but on on a more serious note you know duty of care for the protector it is more than the regulation 
It is also considering their mental health. It's considering whether or not they want to work for you anymore. And, you know, how do we how do we hire the next generation? How do we keep the talent pipeline going? And I really appreciate uh, Amanda and Jonathan coming on and, uh, you know, looking at their varied backgrounds, how they've achieved that. Now, there are there are many ways that we can look out for one another this uh, festive period. I suggest one way is to simply connect to someone that you haven't connected with in a while. Uh, yeah, sure, that could be for a business reason, but that would also serve the purpose of just touching base, making sure they're okay. Um, you know, obviously, it is a big community, so you can't uh, reach out to everyone. But I think that especially this time of year, we should give a thought to our fellow uh, colleagues and friends. Now, coming up, of course, uh, in January, on the 25th of January, is our ninth annual Executive Security and Close Protection Technology Forum in the Grand Connaught Rooms in London. Absolutely amazing agenda already. It's already online. If anyone needs it, just uh, if you want, head to executivesecurity.mssconference.com uh, or, or just you know DM us and we'll send you the link. But that's a good place. That's a good touch point at the start of the year. Um, I've said it uh, to a few others. Uh, it doesn't clash with Davos, in case you were wondering. It is uh, after Davos, so uh, fear not. The usual spot uh, where we don't clash with anything is still in motion. And uh, I understand the IPSB is running pre-drinks the night before as well. And, of course, we have our Honor uh, Group uh, sponsored drinks after the event itself. So lots, lots to play for. And, of course, our uh, BBA uh, community uh, have a special code. Uh, look out for that on the app. And, uh, in, you know, we'll, we'll probably also email it to you. Duty of care, it's not the simple formula that perhaps we discussed in previous episodes. It's more detailed, more in-depth. And I really think that we should... I, I suppose show a little kindness yeah, big shout out to the kindness games I suppose we should show a little kindness and think of our fellow protector our fellow colleague and what they're going through especially as some may be uh, working this festive season as always we would be delighted to hear from you in the NABA protector app and the BBA connect app uh, we're always there always listening and uh, if you have an article and you need to get the word out, you want to spread the message, we would love to incorporate your article in the next edition of the Circuit Magazine itself. So, on behalf of Elijah, Sean and John, uh, have a lovely Christmas, a uh, happy festive period, and we look forward to seeing you very soon. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.